0: You're listening to Giraffe King's Network.
1: These are the video breakdowns you need, folks. Yeah. The frame-by-frame <laughs> Zapruder film. Um. Don't tell me at the good time. Works.
2: We'll break out the software. We'll get some <laughs> captions, arrows in there. Terrible. Make a chart. We'll make a spreadsheet to go with Mr. Spreadsheet.
1: hey everybody welcome back to too many men my name is Allison Lucan and as always I am joined by the globe-trotting fast-paced witty clever funny and always the best camera look of the too many men crew Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you today?
0: Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Had a great weekend at Durham Pride. Shout out to my friend Ben, friend of the pod, who listens to the pod that I saw there. So that was fun. Um, Other than that, watched the game.
1: The game. Excellent. And speaking of the game, the constant moving picture maker, Dog Wrangler, and all around NHL and all hockey analyzer, Shayna Goldman is here too. Shayna, say hi.
2: Hi.
1: (laughs) All right, guys. I'm having a morning. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, I hate morning so much. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, there has been a lot happening since we talked officially last. Um, And before we get to the hockey, the action on the ice, um, we've said this all off season or all playoff season there's going to be changes in the coaching world and that continues we had already talked about the fact that boston got rid of their head coach but after we talked with our listener friends last more details came out about how the gm hired or excuse me handled the situation Sarah, walk us through what we learned about the circumstance of what went down when Boston decided to remove their head coach from his responsibilities.
0: Well, the most egregious thing about it all is that they had told him a few weeks before that he was safe. You don't do that. That's just 101 on any type of management. You don't do that. You can say, well, times are tough, or I don't know, we're all looking at our options you don't you don't have to say you're fired if somebody asks and they aren't yet fired and you haven't made that decision but if you think you might make that decision this is, decision didn't happen out of the blue they didn't wake up one day and say oh well, I guess we got to fire him like nothing new had happened since the series had ended and they had made these questions in their heads so I don't think I think that was completely inappropriate to t- tell him he was safe and then Bruce Cassidy spent 50 minutes on his own accord talking to the media about kind of everything. He was wearing a Celtics shirt. We love that, but also I guess Bruce uh, Bruce Cassidy, Don Sweeney, the GM of the Bruins, showed up to his house to fire him. It's like, I. I guess I get what he was going for with the respect, but imagine, like, Don Sweeney's, like, five feet tall, knocking on your door, like, can I have a second to talk about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You're fired. Like, I just don't (laughs) don't know about that, but I guess Cassidy said that they told him the vision wasn't really getting understood by the players, which uh, that's, okay, that's fair, but... I don't know if I understand Don Sweeney's vision.
1: <laughs> it's always fascinating to me what people think is showing respect and what people think isn't showing respect and how it comes off after the fact. Shana, what was your reaction to this whole situation with Bruce Cassidy? I agree with Sarah. Like, it's
2: just the false sense of job security that I don't love. And even if they – like, I think it's good to let a coach know as soon as possible because there are other coaching jobs that are going to become available because we know only – 35 people in the league are qualified for 32 jobs and it just goes round and round. And, you know, maybe he shouldn't be the coach that takes a year off. It should be someone else and then they get back in the cycle. So I think that sucks, but I do understand if you need time to digest the season and figure out where to go and talk to the players outside of breakup day when there isn't media around and things like that. Like, I totally get that. But, yeah, just don't don't say anything then. It's like, it's like a bad breakup. Like, don't say we're good and then a week later be like, actually – we're not. And I think that there's rightfully some concerns. Like, from the outside, we looked at it, and I was like, you know, he seemed like a pretty good coach. But if there are concerns, especially with young talent, like, sure. And then I look at it, and I'm like, Don Sweeney, you haven't really – your best prospect was, like, Trent Frederick. Like, that's that's not great, you know? So <laughs> you you need a fall guy, like, in a sense, to cover up your bad drafting mistakes. And, like, with the draft picks you had because you took so many swings, which is a good thing, but then when you had picks, you – basically threw them out so you know that's on you that's not on cassidy but yeah it's just it's just the way you go about it there's like a ask for a little bit of decency
1: that's all sarah there was some interesting discourse <clears throat> that people were surprised and some people were a little judgy about bruce cassidy basically as you pointed out already he called his own media availability after the news was announced by the organization And there was some like, oh, who does this guy think he is? There was a little bit of, you know, in the NHL culture of, oh, he's spilling the tea. Should he have just kept his mouth shut? From the media perspective, what's your take on why Bruce Cassidy did this? And should he have done it? And was it worth him doing it?
0: Well, I'm not going to say that I know Bruce Cassidy, but I did cover him for a season. It was a season where I was getting my feet on the ground. Didn't ask that many questions. You know how it is when you're starting out. But at the same time, he was always very... He liked talking to the media, and I think he's developed relationships with these people over six seasons, you know? I remember a story Fluto did with him where he's in his office, and they're going through, like, schemes explaining what what they learn about at practice. And I thought that was so cool. I think maybe his message isn't being received by younger players, but, like, the Boston media got him, I think. So I think it's appropriate. I don't think if some guy showed up for one season and he wasn't successful and everybody knew he was gone, I maybe don't do a press conference then, but maybe do a press conference. I mean, I think I would do it if I'm a coach, right? I want my side of the story out there. And he was pretty respectful and he got wronged in a few ways. So I'm all for that.
1: Yeah. Shana and to exactly what Sarah said, did what was your reaction to, because usually a coach lets, gets let go and we don't, hear anything maybe there's a statement or there's like a phone call with one reporter but again there were kind of these theories that sarah's already talked about he was bad for the young players certain players weren't going to resign with the organization if he stuck as the head coach these were all rumors nothing is confirmed as far as we know um, but did you like the call by cassidy to hold his own availability
2: i think it's wild to hear general manager be concerned that players might leave the organization over a coach when it was Cassidy versus if it was someone that was so ingrained in hockey culture and like a hockey man like say Quenville or someone of that you know ilk like the general manager would have been like fuck you to the prospect and moved on so I just found that interesting but um no I mean I think that there are some coaches that with the longer tenures have relationships like I'm sure the day John Cooper is no longer the coach of the lightning however that ends he would do the same thing. The media likes him. I could see him literally sitting down talking to to the media. And that's, it's a good thing for the media. Like you have to do your job. And if one writer gets the story that, you know, that's tough. And it's like, you only get that one perspective of it too. Like now you get a little more openness and transparency. And I think that's a good thing. It's good for Cassidy in the future, you know, to set himself up, to have that opportunity. It's good for the media to get to do their job. Yes, I'm biased in this. And it's, it's just like, I think good overall because it's different from the hockey culture we know like like Sarah said if this was a coach who was there for a year it's a different conversation it's not if this is someone who's there for a long tenure who had a relationship with the media why the fuck not if you if you're a player that gets traded to a new team you get to talk if you're a general manager everyone's gonna give you a fucking microphone or throw you on a panel because you've been in hockey culture for so long like you can't say that yet about Bruce Cassidy so the fact that he took the time to do that for himself I think that's a good thing.
0: I do agree. and I do want to say with one, uh, this is just my thoughts. Nobody get mad at me or anything. But I do think because the Bruins media liked him so much that they kind of are getting way to protect him. Like, wh- wh- this is an a outrage bit, yeah. about it, right? Like, yeah. I-, I think it's a little less objective than maybe it should
1: be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's It's fair. just everything
0: I'm seeing on Twitter. I'm like, Jesus.
1: Well, And I've got to say, here's what surprised me. I was surprised that he did it. I didn't have a care whether he did it or not either way. But here's what impressed me. As you guys know, when there's an availability of any kind, that kind of announcement usually comes from a PR staff that has a cold list of everybody's email addresses and ways. Like, did he have every media member's contact information? Like, how did he get this out? Like, hey, everyone come on to my Zoom at this time. Like, coaches usually can't do that, right? I think
0: he set it up with uh, the PR.
1: With the team. Yeah. Amazing. Which is
0: kind of, yeah, I don't.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Like, that's just, that's so inside baseball amazing to me. I can't even handle it. Wow. Okay. Well, from there, we move down to another late round of releases um, in terms of interesting who's going to make the decision and when, and that is to Florida. And what we thought we were waiting for in Florida was a decision on head coaches when the head coach that they had for the bulk of this season came in in relief of Joel Quenville and was a finalist for the Jack Adams award, still doesn't have a contract. That wasn't the news that we got this week. What we got this week, uh, courtesy of budding NHL insider Kevin Weeks first, was that the entire assistant coaching staff has been let go. But again, still no news on any contracts for a head coach or now who's going to be in the supporting roles. Sarah, your thoughts on the news and then again, your thoughts on just the concept of we still don't have a contact contract for a head coach who's still there and everyone else is gone.
0: It might be the dominoes falling in a way like they're setting the stage up for their guy who has his guys. Maybe that's Andrew Brunette and he wants to bring some other people in. I just remember during Rod Brindamore's contract negotiations, he held out for a while because he wanted to make sure every single one of his guys and those were people that were already with the team was taken care of. And if that meant Go, like I know um, Dean Chenoweth went to the Leafs, and he was like, that's fine as long as he's getting paid money because he wasn't getting paid enough in Carolina or whatever. I just think it is setting the stage for something. For what? I don't know. I think it's kind of odd this is getting out before the head coaching position. But I don't know. Do you think it's going to be brunette?
1: Yeah, Shana, your thoughts on the changes in Florida where there's still no contract for the head coach but we do know now that all the assistants, some of whom have been there quite some time, and Derek McKenzie is a player I covered when he was on the ice specifically, and now he's out after quite some time there. Your thoughts on just the the decisions we're hearing coming out of the Florida organization?
2: I think it's interesting. It's like also if they kept Brunette, he never got to pick his assistants. So in a way like that, this could open him the opportunity to do it. Um, but it, it's interesting because like when you look at the shortcomings of the Panthers in the playoffs, like obviously you can look at the coaches that handle it, Systems and tactics, and maybe that's not the head coach, but it's just interesting because those were the coaches that made it click under Quenville too. So I I I really don't know who's at fault in that situation. We talked about this a lot, like when we were talking about the Jack Adams, like how much was it brunette writing the ship or just keeping it afloat? Like, did he have answers in the playoffs because it felt like maybe they were at a loss at times? So the whole situation's a little odd. I don't know what they're gonna do. Like, if you're looking at the situation from the outside, I don't see how you go, Brunette's the answer, let's get all new assistant coaches after the season that they had. But I, I really don't know. I don't know too much about Brunette's coaching styles, if anything. Like, I we just don't know enough about him yet, how much it was him just keeping what they had in place versus anything else. So it's it's all a little odd. I wonder if they, did they want that public? Like, I don't know.
1: Kevin Weeks doesn't give a shit if they want it public That's or not. True. Kevin Weeks is here that. for you with the news <laughs> yeah. from his laundry room <laughs> from wherever. Um, and, but, you know, so now, again, we have more seats open behind benches. There are lots of reports of who's interviewing elsewhere, of who's, you know, talking to Chicago, who's talking to Philadelphia, all of these, Winnipeg is up there, too. But uh, did you guys see the tweet the NHL put out? Like, it literally was, here's the teams that have empty coaching jobs, and here's the candidates. And it was all former NHL head coaches. I was like, you guys, like, and we keep talking about this is that there need to be some new voices. And this is a point we've made, but I wanted to give a shout out to our friend Hardev, who goes by at Hardevlad at Twitter. And he made the point to say it's not just about fresh candidates coming from elsewhere in existing NHL hockey or the levels below NHL hockey, he made sure to point out that women and people of color coaches don't get hired because they're not even in the feeder leagues in the first place. So the NHL seems to think you can only hire people who've already been in NHL head coaches first and foremost, and we still don't have a growth of diversity in the coaching pools. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on that at all? We've talked about it every single time we touch on this subject
0: yeah i was just gonna say me and shana kind of touched on that uh last week but i do think they we need to hire women in not lower positions but kind of like what the canadians are doing and then what Vancouver's doing and what seattle is doing to get women in these conversations that they already deserve to be in like we are aware of their greatness but they they need to build their resumes so we got to kind of I guess be patient because things are the wheels are spinning if they're very very slow but I do think I mean Pierre Lebrun cited two women in his head coaching search uh, last week on the athletics so I think we're making progress you know
2: <coughs> I agree but it's like slow <laughs> it's very slow progress and it's, very slow. it's it's at the the problem's at the bottom because those lower levels, there's not enough diverse candidates coaching, because no one wants to give them a shot. And the problem's at the top, because the top people are from the old, it's a good old boys club, and they're not going to go outside, like, their wheelhouse. And it's nice to see people like Megan Duggan, like, you know, she's a rising star in front offices, and that's great, and I hope that she keeps building on it, whatever path she wants. But, like, I don't like that I can count on my hands how many women, like, get featured in the conversation or how many non-white men get featured in the conversation and it's just exhausting because you know it's funny you'll hear the comments like let's say if hillary knight went for a coaching job tomorrow people like what makes her qualified but what makes the failed nhler who played a hundred games in their entire career mostly played in the minors if anything or had their career cut short by injuries and they played two fucking years They are more qualified than someone who might have won a gold medal at every single level. Like, it's the same shit that you hear in every single job that a woman has in sports. Like, why is Jennifer Botterill qualified to talk about hockey? Why is AJ Malesko, their college championships are meaningless apparently, their gold medals are meaningless, their playing experience is meaningless because it wasn't at the men's level? So... I just want to I, I want to see more at every single level. And it's it's on everyone in hockey to keep bringing women's names into the conversation and keep talking about this. And as much as people might be sick of hearing it, like it just needs to keep being discussed or nothing's ever going to change. And you're just going to deal with the same couple candidates going on until they retire. Like, And then I'm sure GMs will beg them to come out of retirement. It's happened before. Why won't it happen again?
0: Yeah, I want to say one of the woman Pierre shouted out was Jessica Campbell who she was obviously a former Canadian women's national team player and she last month became the first woman to coach at the IIHF men's world championship and um, she was in the Dell so I think she had said to Pierre my goal has always been to coach at the highest professional level and my aspirations are to be at the NHL level one day so she's specifying that she does like, I think sometimes we just try to name a woman, but she actually wants to work in the NHL, so I do name have my one, eye on her.
1: one woman.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> anyone name one woman, we got it.
0: You like the- women, name one of their songs.
2: <laughs> the other thing, too, is we talk about hires for women's teams, and I think this is important, too, because so often men get those jobs and nobody says anything from the traditional media side, let's say. Like, they'll be like, oh, cool, a man got hired and, like, there's a reason a lot of women come out and they're like, what makes them qualified for the women's game then if you're going to have that same conversation? So it'd be nice if there aren't going to be as many opportunities at the men's levels for women. If they could start coaching at the women's level, that would be nice as well. Not saying that the men aren't qualified who are there. Like, I know the new coach for Team USA, we were talking about it. Like, there's a lot of reasons to think he would be a good fit. Or Colt Orr with the Connecticut Whale. I don't think anyone in Connecticut would tell you they don't want him coaching because he's a man. But, you know, it just, it's everywhere we just have to see more diverse
1: candidates coaching absolutely positively everywhere and to that point shana you we'll go dive into this after this tournament concludes and look more deeply into the results but just very quickly for our listeners bring us up to speed what's happening tonight with the u18s women's championships
2: so tonight is the gold medal game it's at 7 30 eastern i believe on nhl network it may also be on espn plus i think I know ESPN Plus did the earlier rounds, and that's how I was watching it. I think, even though it's still on NHL Network, it'll be on both, but I'm not a thousand percent sure. Um, but it's USA Canada for the mm-hmm. gold medal. Never heard of like, that before. N- never. And for bronze, it's going to be Finland Sweden. It's, you know, a really fun tournament. The commentary is fantastic. It's Cheryl Pounder doing. She's amazing. Uh, she's amazing. And the difference when it's not. Uh, Rod doing the play-by-play is huge because it's not someone talking over her the entire time. Like, the analysis we're hearing is really fantastic, and I think the other day when Jada Kinla scored, I didn't even hear anyone talk about her father. Which, I understand the... (laughs) Look, I get it if there's one mention in the tournament as a whole. Sure. no one's Everyone loves Jerome McGinla. I get it, and sometimes that's how you have to try to interest men, is saying, here's a man that links to the woman, so maybe you'll have interest. Because, you know small-minded pea-sized brains. We get it, but it's very nice that we don't have to uh, mount every accomplishment by woman by <laughs> linking it to a man, and I don't think that happened at all when she scored, and I was uh, thoroughly impressed. The bar, it's through the floor.
0: I know. It is exactly, like, I don't mind the mentions either, but when she's scoring her own goal, I don't like the glory being taken away.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Uh, my friends, there is one more bit-o-news that we <laughs> reluctantly (laughs) must cover and that is this is what happens when you leave hockey Twitter to its own devices and late last night um, we look we are not here to say what happened we are simply sharing the reactions um, to some video that was put out on social media last night of Connor McDavid walking with some people including a young woman Um, There have been a lot of inferences made about the context of what Connor McDavid was doing, why he was doing it. We don't know. There has been, as of the time of this recording, no response, no credible reporting of what exactly was going on. But y'all, sometimes Twitter is for the good, and the memes have been amazing. Depending on when you caught up on this, it was a journey. Sarah, take us through it from your perspective.
0: Yeah, I woke up at like 6 in the morning randomly this morning and I checked Twitter and everyone's like, you know when that happens, you know you missed something. It's like (laughs) everyone's like, everyone who falls asleep is going to be mad. But then I look at the video and he's like barely holding this girl's hand. I Maybe hockey drama is so boring historically that we're shocked at this or something, but I, it did not phase me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just... Desensitized to life at this point, but I hold hands with my homies all the time.
1: (laughs) But like, on I sent you guys this when I started catching up, like. The memes were amazing. The one with Kevin Weeks photoshopped in front of the still yeah. since Kevin <laughs> yeah. Weeks He's likes like hey, recording
0: live. <laughs> I don't know if we should be like I should be tweeting about this. I, all I tweeted was am I naive or is that not actually a video of him cheating? I mean, I hold hands with the homies after a few drinks all the time. That's just my thoughts. I don't know if I but I I don't know. Like <laughs> I didn't tweet the video. I'm just looking at it. I didn't even mention him by name. I I don't think it's fine. He's my boy. (laughs) I was (laughs) rooting
2: for him. Some of the jokes got me like... The jokes are amazing. Connor will now be sleeping on his heated driveway or the vibe in that house just got (laughs) colder or like Connor McDavid just developed his two-way game. Like I'm dying. And then you saw there was the gossip site with the captain with the spreadsheets. Now everyone's like, is Connor McDavid with the spreadsheets? I like it's it's funny and it's nice to have three seconds. I, I don't want to say of levity because it's levity for us. And if there is a situation, it's not levity for them. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Mm-hmm. But it's funny to have some sort of drama that isn't like, oh my god, I hate hockey. I hate hockey yeah, culture. Like we can slur- laugh.
0: saying a slur. It's like okay, yeah, just like exactly. something. <laughs>
2: exactly. And like the man looked intoxicated. We and have and yeah. we have all been there. We <laughs> have all like <laughs> zero judgment. Yeah. No judgment. I mean, look, you're a man that can walk on with knives on your boots, like not on ice surfaces and walk to the locker room and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, you know, being flat footed when you're drunk can be hard. And sometimes you want to hold hands. It, it doesn't. It's not just us. My like my friends, they all hold hands when they're drunk. All of them. All all men. They 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 hold hands. They kiss. They do whatever they want when they're drunk. So I can't I can't judge.
0: Rover Rovers and Connor McDavid right over. <laughs>
2: i think we have an episode (laughs) oh my
1: god oh my god But i do
0: want to say i wish i wish cameras didn't exist for things like this i don't think it's our business but
1: since it is forced
0: upon me on twitter.com i'm not gonna not comment on it
2: no we have to comment on it you you truly have to because he's one of the most bland People in the world, <laughs> and it's supposed to be the face of the sport. It's nice to know that he's human.
0: No, exactly. I'm like, we yeah. okay. He's making a mistake. Let's go. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and even if he's not making a mistake, he might just be a lightweight. Nice to know. It's good to know. Yeah. There's yes been, like, that'd be there's been endearing. few clips of him drunk. Like there was one of him like randomly like taking shots, and
1: it's like, oh, you do that? Yeah. You're not a robot. Like that's good. That's well, good to know. And and to Sarah's point, in his defense, like. Any, or hockey media beats the personality out of you. Like oh, yeah. if you're Connor McDavid, you have been groomed for this for so long and have been, I'm sure, counseled, don't do anything wrong, don't drink, don't do this, don't do that. So it's a monster of our own creation because this is what has been, quote, unquote, allowed all this time. And then, my God, the man steps outside the lines for one time and, you know, it's, world war three on twitter
0: so (laughs) he's in his britney era (laughs) he's he's rebelling against the paparazzi
2: maybe if we didn't only get these few snippets of drama once in a while that were actually not as we said so horrible like we wouldn't overreact to the few that trickle through so i feel like yeah this is because like we have nothing else so you have to give us something and now like we're like kids like give us more we need more drama we need to know more um but to the woman that was helping him walk, maybe she was just a kind bystander who didn't want Connor McDavid to make an asshole of himself by like tripping out of a bar. Like we've, you know, I've seen people do that. I not to judge them, but I've judged people for it. You know, you're like, damn. Not and to judge kind of them, like, but no. I've judged. But them. I judge them.
0: Or maybe she or was an everyone. opportunistic bystander who's like, it's yeah. Connor McDavid.
2: I'm gonna hold his hand. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he seems didn't eat Influencer. It. <laughs> who knows? She had a cute top yeah. on. Maybe everyone's gonna exactly. be like, you know what? these are the video breakdowns
1: you need folks the the frame by frames the pruder film (laughs) don't
2: tell me at the good time we'll break out the software we'll get some (laughs) captions arrows in there terrible make a chart we'll make a spreadsheet to go with mr spreadsheet potentially terrible it's
1: good terrible well we 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 had some fun but in all seriousness let the man live um we've had some issues with some other things Connor mcdavid has done but in this case like everyone deserves to be able to go and have a good time it's not really our business in this moment but anyway um there was some actual hockey played see again this is what happens when there's no hockey um was there there hockey there was there was hockey Um, you know the (laughs) saying goes in playoff series that you have to be able to win on the road we saw that bite carolina um, in the butt when they were sent out of postseason action and it was in the eastern Conference Final. Tampa Bay that originally found the ability to crack the Rangers Um, they win game five in New York then they bring action back to Tampa for game six just a really dug-in game not a lot of goals but then Tampa goes up Rangers come back and tie it on the power play 1-1 and then 21 seconds later I mean This is one of those narratives that demands it is a narrative because it writes itself. The captain Stephen Stamkos drives down the ice and gets what will ultimately be the game winning and series winning goal. Tampa Bay heads back to the Stanley Cup final for a third consecutive year, which I just find incredible. Sarah, what are your thoughts on the series on what Tampa did and what you take away from Tampa being able to get there for the third time in a row?
0: Yeah, Stamkos is making a statement here. I have been not meh about him, but okay, yeah, we get it, Steven Stamkos. I, I think part of that's just been because he's been actually hurt for a lot of key moments during these playoff runs, but I feel like he's completely making up for it now. And I'm just, I mean, he did when he was playing on one leg and literally scored a goal last season or was a who knows. But I am just... I'm really impressed by him and it's kind of what everybody who closely watches him says and he's kind of doing it in the most important parts it just shows you how stacked the tampa roster is because they've done it so much of this without him then he comes back and it's like they refuse to die
1: and let's stick with just the tampa side of it first shayna you know again we've talked about the depth we've talked about the confidence and the experience that comes from being able to do this twice already what were the strengths of Tampa Bay's game from your perspective that got them this series victory? So
2: they have the star power, like we saw with Stamkos. And, you know, we've talked a lot about his evolution into a playmaker over the years, but, like, he still has an excellent shot. And it's nice to see – it's nice to see a player like that be the one to lead their team. And they did this without Braden Point. Um, They – It's funny, we talked a lot about the rust versus, you know, rest factor, and I think John Cooper said it after, like, the rust definitely hurt them in the first two games, but in the long run, the rest helped them, and you really could see that by games like five and six, I think. Um, Tampa was a better five-on-five team. They had a rough first game. Second game, they turned it on by the third period, and really from there, they took over at five-on-five, and at times, like, they weren't scoring goals, and that's what happens when you go up against the best goalie in the playoffs, but... They they were outright the better team, you know, they made life really difficult for the Rangers to even enter the zone at five on five in the last two games of the series and forcing them into a jump, a dump and chase that they weren't able to generate much of anything from. They limited, you know, rushes against and then were creating their own rush chances. So it was everything that they weren't doing in games one and two. Like, sure, they won the shot battle in games one and two, but like it was everything else they weren't doing. So they limited passing better, they, you know, limited cycle chances against, they created their own, and they were finishing on those chances. So they really pulled it together, because at first it was like, can you only score on the power play to Tampa? And they were like, no, 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 we can be the better 5-on-5 team, we can score at 5-on-5, and we can be the better power play team. And then, you know, you look at their penalty killing, which is all about taking away the middle of the ice and not allowing that East-West pass, and, you know, you could see really in Game 6, they were like, we are not allowing these chances to happen, so... You know, it it was an all-around impressive effort. You could see things from their forwards that
1: were impressive, their defense, and their goaltending. Sarah, let's flip it and look at the team that has their season now ended, joining the list of teams that have had their season ended by Tampa Bay, and that's the Rangers. Um, They certainly had some key injuries in the lineup that affected them earlier in the series, and then some players trying to come back that maybe weren't as effective as they could have been. And Shana mentioned rust versus rest. There were people talking about maybe the Rangers were just tired. I mean, they'd played a lot more hockey with a lot less rest going into this series. What do you think befell the Rangers? What were some opportunities that they couldn't take advantage of? Or where do they just still have to grow to really push through to get to another final?
0: Yeah, I mean, they were physically falling apart. But at the same time, I I mean, I think Lindgren, just that whole situation was tough to watch. But I do think they tempted fate way too many times like there's no quit in New York but it shouldn't have to be that hard you know I I think (laughs) they went to game sevens twice they came back they made all these records about like how much they've come back in periods and in series and it's like you can't you just can't keep doing that
1: Shayna, you watched this team. We've talked about this quite a bit as well, but again, there were injuries, but there were also lineup changes, both within the entirety of the roster. And then also the line combinations on the ice. What did you see in terms of where New York still needs to grow? Obviously not their goaltending. Um, <laughs> but, but what are, what did New York learn about themselves and where they are and where they aren't based on this series?
2: So. By now, the Rangers, as an organization, should know that elite goaltending can take you so far and your other weaknesses will bite you no matter how strong you are in net. They learned that for a decade and apparently have not learned their lesson still. Um, Five on five play was an issue all in the regular season. So it's it's what hurt them all throughout the regular season that they didn't remedy bit them, you know, that you could look at it and say the coaches maybe should have Adjusted their tactics, you know, throughout the year. Maybe they should have been more willing to test different line combinations because if you don't, then when you need to, you might be kind of like in a tailspin because no one knows how to play with anyone. No one has chemistry. No one, you know, knows each other's tendencies because they've been so stuck in the same combinations for much of the year. That's something that we saw Colorado do and it's helped them, and the Rangers didn't do that. So it's no surprise that, you know, when push came to shove, like no one knew how to play with each other. It looked like everyone looked really out of sync. Um, if we talk game six specifically, we have three lineup decisions to discuss. We have Ryan Strome playing injured. He missed a game. He left a game with injury, missed a game, played the next, and then here he is. One shift in, you could tell he could not skate well. At all. Yeah. And that's your second line center. Um, the other decision was to play Dryden Hunt on the fourth line, who he's a good depth player, but like that's another fourth liner, and then the other decision was to stra- uh, to scratch Capocaco, which we don't know any insight on. We know nothing about the decision, so there's only we're not so going much to talk about say. that right now. Yeah, we're not talking about that one. Um, that was what Gerard like,
1: Gallant said post game. P.S. By the way, yeah, is what we're referencing <laughs> more than once.
2: <laughs> uh, like we know the kid line was the line throughout the postseason. That was the highlight for the Rangers, and yes, he missed key opportunities, but they were generating offense. So to take him out of the mix entirely is a choice. Um, the thing with it is with Strom, it's interesting. They changed the first, the third, and the fourth line. And the second line, the Panarin Strom cop line, was the one that they kept together when that's the one that's had some of the worst results in the postseason. And even in the regular season, you saw their underlying numbers slip, but they were scoring goals. So it's interesting that that's the line that's gotten crushed so much in their own end is the one that you keep together instead of mixing up everything to give it a fresh look. Um, he played one shift. And could not skate well. And you could tell very clearly he could not skate well. So you get to that conversation of, does it help or hurt to have him in the lineup? Because if you didn't play him, you could have Cop play center, Kako on the right wing or something. Even if you kept Kako on the third line, you know, you could make it work. And they had other options that they chose not to use and to play Stroh instead. And then he did not play the rest of the game after looking like he couldn't take a stride in his skating so you get to that conversation, does it help or hurt a team to have a player play when they're clearly so impacted by their injury? And I'm sure, you know, he went out for warm-ups and he was out there. He went back to the locker room. He came out at the end of it. If you're a coach and a player says, I can play, I'm sorry, in a situation like that, you're the coach, I would, I would have gotten on the bench and say, go, go do a lap. Let me see you skate. And I think very clearly you would Take have a seen lap. that he can't. Do, do anything like they have optional skate for this. They, they could have checked it the other day, but he's out on the ice for warmups. I would want to see him skate a full lap because I think that would have given you your answer that he can't help you the way he was. He's not going to help Panarin, who should be your best player, who's not playing at you know, his potential either. It's, he looked like a liability on the ice. There was a goal against.
1: He couldn't catch up because he
2: couldn't skate. Who could have seen that coming? I didn't, Who knew? This,
1: this goes back to our injury di- di- discourse, and I just you know again, like if I hear one more time how Leon Drysaitel is such a warrior, <laughs> like I like this. This is the this is what I'm talking about. I never want a player to feel like just because you're injured you can't play. But we have to be able to weigh and measure if you're going to help your team or if you should just not play because you're injured. It's not a measure of how quality of a person you are, how tough you are. But it, again, it's the damaging nature of the narrative around you play through anything without the question of, but only if you can help the team to a degree that we need. Like, it, this is just so exhausting to me, mm-hmm.
2: this constant
1: warrior, I don't know, it just frustrates me to, to no, no end.
2: You're right, and I don't expect it, I don't expect Ryan Strom to be the one to take himself out of the mix. I would never expect that. But if you're the coach, you do have to... But he should also
1: be able to. He should should. be able to say... Oh, he should. Yeah. I know I'm not going to help. Like, these are smart players. They know.
2: Yeah. But, like, if he's not going to, you have to look at this critically and be like, he can barely skate. Right. He was not good last game because his skating was impacted. He could not finish the game. It literally reminds me of, ironically, 2015, the Rangers played Tampa in the Eastern Conference Final. Game 7, Ryan McDonough's foot was broken. They didn't know if they could freeze it in time. They put a seventh defender in, Matt, uh, Matt Hunwick, scratched Jimmy Shepard instead of Tanner Glass, which was like the controversy back then, which fourth liner's is worse. And Matt Hunwick played four minutes because once McDonough could play, they were like, well, we, we have no use for you. Like, how do you put your team in a position to succeed when you know there's a chance you're going to be shorthanded for 85% of it, let's say, because you have an extra player sitting there on the bench? Now for the Rangers, they knew the risk. If Strong couldn't skate, he's going to the locker room. He's missing half the game. Do you have the forward depth to now step up? Now you have 11 forwards and you're still playing your fourth line with seven minutes left and, you know, you're down one nothing. You're expecting them to score a goal. Like, there were so many questionable decisions throughout it. Like, why, unless you had a really, really, really good fourth line, how do you make that decision when you know you're probably not going to get scoring? You're getting scoring from your top nine. Now you're without a top nine player. Like, it's just an odd choice.
1: Well, if we look at the predictions that the three of us had going into this series we did all three pick tampa bay so we all win there um but shana and i both had it in six games whereas sarah was going for seven so tiny advantage to shana and allison on this sarah i'll ask you this final thought we you know of course there's going to be breakup day for the rangers and i'm sure more news will come out Um, but are you optimistic about where the Rangers go from here or not optimistic? Was this a team showing what they're going to be? Or was this a team that didn't make the most of what was really a quality opportunity for them to push for a championship?
0: No, I think in a few years, they're going to be the team everybody thought they were going to be. I think this was more of like a lucky one in Rome, like the Cinderella run, like the Canes had (laughs) a few years ago, right? And then then it's time to get serious. I, I think this was the year of Igor, and I hope this is the summer of Igor where he just lives his best life.
1: We do love a good Igor. Shayna, on the rise or list of worries to come for the Rangers?
2: They're on the rise, I think, but it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how Chris Drury manages this offseason. Like, they don't have much cap space because they already signed two huge extensions for his advantage Adam Fox. They used a lot of draft picks, rightfully so, to capitalize on the year that Kreider and Shusterkin had. And because they fucked up so badly last offseason, they had to handle it at the deadline while they addressed it correctly. They don't have many draft picks the next few years. And yes, they spent years building up draft picks in a prospect system. But we all know how things have gone with some of their top prospects. So I think they're on the rise. But I think that it just it it. It's so much more important to be smart, to be creative with your asset management from here, to look below the surface and find those market inefficiencies because they're going to need to squeeze every
1: dollar they can get. Outstanding. Well, I'm sure we'll hear more in the media about the Rangers. Again, this is their breakup day and and their breakup week. And we'll be coming at you later this week with our preview of the Stanley Cup final. But that puts a final stamp on the Eastern Conference final. Tampa Bay headed to their third Stanley Cup final with all credit going to John Tortorella and the Columbus Blue Jackets, who quote-unquote created a monster, which was a whole funny little narrative. I love
2: that Cooper quoted that, though. I I loved it. He reads.
0: I love the meta. (laughs) Yeah, he can read. Well, he was a lawyer, right? No, I know, but it's nice to see.
2: Did you know in a playoff run that you were allowed to read hockey content and not only focus on the team's X's and O's? You watch the news, you can read. I didn't know you were allowed to do that in the playoffs.
1: Someone it's tell
2: nice
1: the blues. To see. <laughs> I was just about to say Ori has a really good PR staff, but we've discussed how that matters. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I do love right. the
0: Lightning PR staff. I'll give I, them that. Th- yes. They are. Shout out excellent. Brian and Brian.
1: To the Brians. I mean, hashtag. All right. So we end every episode with our favorite game, Fuck Mary Kill. And we thank you listeners for always sending them in. We have listener-provided Fuck, Marry, Kill content today. And this is from our friend David, who goes by at DSROTJ on Twitter. And Shayna, you're going to go up first because you just walked us through this. So here we go. Fuck, Mary Kill, Galant's Game 6 Choices. Number one, Benching Kako. Number two, Playing Strom. Number three, Playing Hunt. Go. I will...
2: Mary playing Hunt, because if you were switching him out for Reeves or Rooney, I don't think anyone would disagree with the decision. Because he's actually played up in the lineup and can be somewhat productive for for his position. I will fuck playing Strom only because I understand... I don't want to shit on Strom for saying that he could play through it. I It's more about the coaching decision, so... I understand why they felt the need to play their second line center right, wrong, or sideways. I get it to an extent. I understand the pressure he's under, which is the whole big issue of it all. And I will kill scratching Kako because that is the decision that made the least sense. Um, I don't see how it's good for him to be scratched. I don't see how his play warranted the scratch relative to others. I don't see how that put the team in a position to succeed. And the only way it would have been worse, and I think I would have gotten... Numerous messages being like, well, there's quintessential Gallant, which I've gotten throughout the year based on his decisions, um, would be if it were like caco for Reeves. So I'm glad it's not that because I think the discourse would have been just obnoxious <laughs> at that point. But I just think that was an outright bad coaching decision that he should explain. And as much as maybe he wants to protect the player and not say in the media, he was bad and I didn't like his game. um well then, I have more questions about it, and you—I don't know—it's your responsibility to hold yourself accountable for,
1: for your decisions. So, there we go. Sarah, fuck Mary, kill benching Kako, playing Strome, or playing <clears throat> Hunt?
0: I'm killing benching Kako because of the discourse. I am. Oh. <laughs> No, I'm killing Strom, benching, I'm killing playing Strome because that was silly. Like, we all saw him. I'm like, you, this guy can't even move. Like, you got to be kidding me. I am fucking benching Kako because I don't think it was the worst decision, but it wasn't the best decision. So we're not going to marry him, and I'm going to marry playing Hunt because I don't really care. <laughs>
1: Allison. <laughs> and there's Sarah's views on marriage. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yes. No, I, I'm actually in line with you, Sarah. And I must say, like, with all due respect to, to Gallant, when this kind of stuff comes out right before the puck drops, I'm like, uh oh, this is not good. Yeah. This is not, this is a sign that, that things are not good. So I am also going to fuck Benching Kako because, listen, it's not always good, folks, but it's something you tried. And then I'm going to kill Strom. Um, I think my opinions on f- having players who are so injured they cannot truly benefit the team play um, is something that we need to be more um, intentional in understanding and making sure that we're doing the right things for the right reasons. And therefore, mainly because it's the only one left. I'm Yikes. gonna marry playing hunt. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> All right, friends. Well, that is it for us this episode. Um, again, we will be back before the final begins with a preview and a much more bit-o-news because Sarah just can't get enough bit-o-news. She loves it so much. I we need to rec-
2: news.
1: <laughs> We need to record you just saying bit-o-news, and that'll be our intro sound. I love how you say it, though, the, the enthusiasm behind it. Well, because I know it drives Sarah crazy. I know. But I like it's when she true. says it with her like Irish accent. Do the Irish one. One moment.
2: <laughs> uh, oh.
1: You gotta channel YouTube.
0: it, really
2: channel it. Hold on, one moment. It'll be worth it. A
0: bit of news. <laughs> Did you hear the boing? No. <laughs> no. I put a boing sound effect on YouTube. I, I guess YouTube doesn't play here. Biddle news. <laughs> we need a sound effect.
1: <laughs> we will get one. We will get one. Our wonderful friends at Meadowlark have set me up with some stuff. We'll see if we can get oh, one. Oh, perfect. All right, friends. Well, until we talk to you again, we'll be back with Biddle News. We'll be back with a Stanley Cup final preview. Until then, be sure to follow us on Twitter at two underscore much underscore man. You can also find their links to check out our merch. It is summer cocktail season. So, if you need a holder for your favorite bevy, we've got you covered. We have stickers, sweatshirts, t shirts, all kinds of things that are the rage. You can also check out our website at toominymenpod.com. And until then, again, intentionally this month, but of course, every day, we stand in support and celebration of our LGBTQIA friends. We remind you that racism is bad, sexism is bad. And until we talk again, be good to one another. Love you. Bye.